0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're coming to the end of uh, the, this chapter uh, and this prayer, which is just incredible. And uh, <clears throat> we're about halfway through the whole book of Ephesians. Woo! And uh, I, think, I think this is our, my 83rd or 84th study, I could tell you here, it's number 83 in my Ephesian series, uh, which is kind of daunting if you think about it, if you go back to the very beginning. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a lot. <clears throat> uh, but praise the Lord, uh, this is, it's been really good. And I don't know about you, but uh, this, whole, this whole section in Ephesians chapter 3 has just been really rich and powerful, uh, at least in my life. Uh, What I'd like to do is I'd like to read this whole thing again just because we've been, one, doing it every single time. And uh, my guess is we've all slept since the last one. So uh, we should probably be familiar with the the content again. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, uh, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Look at verse 20 again. Uh, We started this last time in the last study. But Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. How we were investigating that idea and we were talking about the fact that God is able. He delights in impossibilities. So you can take any situation or any circumstance and you can say, well, is God able to do, to do something in the middle of my, my issue, of my circumstance, of my problem, my whatever? And you have to conclude, yes. Why? Because he's able. Well, what is he able to do? And Paul says, take your, best, take, take your best thought. Take your wildest imagination. I mean, just, just go crazy with like, what is possible? What could God do? Paul says that God isn't just merely able to do that. He is able to go, and again, there, he gives two words. It, it gives this idea of abundantly beyond. Uh, this just surpassing idea. And uh, was we were looking at it last time, the 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 word beyond means beyond which is a great translation but the word abundantly or some translations say exceedingly is three greek words put together and it's beyond which is the same word as the other one has beyond another word and then it means like over and above so the emphasis that paul is making here is that god is able well what is he able to do Well, take your best case scenario, take your wildest imagination. Hey, whatever you could ask or imagine or think, God is able to go beyond, beyond, over and above and beyond all of that. That's encouraging to me. Which means that our best case scenario, God's like, yeah, that is so easy. I could go so far beyond that. Wouldn't it be amazing as we come into prayer, wouldn't it be just neat as we just focus on the reality of Jesus in our life, wouldn't it just be phenomenal to realize that God just can't handle our problems? He can so surpass and deal with the issues of our life that shouldn't that just cause rest in your soul? Shouldn't that just cause joy in your heart? Shouldn't that just cause a, oh, I can trust him? Oh, I can just rest in the reality that, that he is able. He is able. Are you getting this? He is able. That's phenomenal. Now, Paul continues on this idea, and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, and here's what I want to look at this morning, according to the power that works within us. According to the power that works within us. It's interesting. It's almost like he's setting up some bookends Uh, Here he is at the end of the prayer. He's in this doxology, uh, giving praise and glory to God. And he's talking about the power that works within us. But he's mentioned that same thing uh, if you go up to verse uh, 16. At the very beginning of the content that Paul gave, or is given in this prayer, he says that that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So it seems like there's these bookend ideas in the passage where Paul is saying, do you know what I'm praying for you? I am praying that God will literally strengthen you, empower you in the very depths of who you are. And now here is in our passage, he says, according to the power that works within us. According to the power that works within us. Uh, If you turn to Colossians, don't do that. But if if you turn to Colossians and you were to read the similar verse that Paul uses in Colossians, because Colossians and Ephesians parallel each other quite a bit, when you look at how Paul says this in Colossians, he says in Colossians 1.29, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And again, he uses that word power and working In that passage. But in this case, in the Colossians one, he says, hey, that power of God is mightily working within you. So this isn't just like, well, it's if you squint, you can kind of see God's power. Paul says, do you know what God's power is doing? God's power is mightily working within me. So I want to look at that idea of this power that empowers us. Because that is the idea in the passage. Paul says, according to the power that empowers us, that works within us. Uh, the word power in our passage is the Greek word dunamis. And, uh, and uh, we, boy, Paul uses this all over the place, especially in the book of Ephesians. But it has this idea of power, might, strength, ability, all, all that kind of stuff. And then that word for works uh, is the word "energio. Uh, or energio, which is this idea of energizing, has this idea of enablement, has this idea of operative, has this idea of effectual. Uh, for example, if you turn to James, it says, you know, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and this word, that it's energizing, it's, it's effective, it's operational, it's, 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 it's enabling, it puts forth power. It's that kind of an idea. Uh, back in Paul's first prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, Again, Paul prays two prayers in the book of Ephesians. In Paul's first prayer, in Ephesians chapter 1, he uses those two words again. In Ephesians 1.19, he's talking about that he's praying that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, which are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And he actually uses four different words of power in the Greek to describe the power of God. And he uses the word kratos, which is this idea of power and authority and sovereignty and dominion. He uses the word iskis, which is that, ugh, right, that, that resource and ability, the, the ability to do something. He uses the word dunamis, which is the word in our passage, which is the expression. It's like where we get the word dynamite or dynamic, right? It's, just, it's an expressive reality of power. And then he uses the word energia, Uh, which is the noun of our word, which is this idea of energizing. So isn't it interesting as you get into this idea, Paul is saying in our passage that, hey, I am praying, or sorry, now to him who is able to go beyond, beyond, over and above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to this power, this demonstration, this dynamic reality that is energizing, enabling in our lives. That is incredible to me. And since you obviously didn't get it, I'm going to have to walk through this again. So that word power, dunamis, uh, the word power, again, has this idea of power, might, strength. Um, sometimes it's translated miracles. For example, in the book of Acts, they came in and they did all these miracles, wonders, and signs. And it uses the word dunamis. That it, there's this working, there's this strength, there's this demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? Well, that's the dunamis. That here is God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, is moving through the acts, or through these, through these disciples producing these acts. Well, what were the acts? They were miracles, but they were the dunamis of God Himself. So sometimes it's used in that sense. Now, that word, dunamis, shows up 119 times in the New Testament, it shows up over 500 times in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it's really intriguing to me. It's often uh, translated army. It has this idea of battle or war or valiant. Uh, It's often associated with the idea of the Lord of hosts. It has this idea of power or strength. And it just shows up all over the place in the Old Testament. Isn't it interesting when we're talking about this idea that you are to be strengthened, that that you are to be strong, uh, that there's this power that resides within us, how often God speaks of that specifically in the Old Testament. Uh, For example, God comes to Joshua, and Joshua is taking over uh, Moses' leadership of all of Israel. And at the very beginning of Joshua, listen to this. This is Joshua chapter 1. Listen how many times this idea of strengthening or empowerment shows up as God speaks to Joshua. He says in Joshua 1, 6 or or 9, he says, Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hey, be strong. And it seems like in the context of what God is telling Joshua, this is not, hey, buddy, buckle down, get some muscles, and show forth some strength. He's saying, I am your strength. So, hey, would you be strong in me? Because you're about to go into battle, and you've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. So where is your strength going to come from? It's going to come from me. How Moses said the same thing to the Israelites. Some years are not not. not too long before this. Here's Moses. He's about to die. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he looks at the people of Israel and he says, be strong and courageous. This is Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And as you look at this idea of the be strong, be strong, this is given to Moses, this is given to Joshua, this is given to David, this is given to Solomon. This is all throughout the Psalms. I mean, this thing just shows up all over the place, that you are called to be strong. Paul picks up on this idea, and he speaks to the church that same idea. So here's Paul in the New Testament declaring to the church that same idea. And by the way, I'm giving you a ton of verses this morning, so I, I apologize. Uh, so don't look them up, just, just enjoy them. Or write down the references and look them up later. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians 16, 13, listen to what Paul says. He tells the church, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And it's interesting, that be strong, it's, it's, it's passive, which means you're to receive the strength. So this isn't go and be strong, this is, hey, receive strength, which is the same idea in Ephesians six ten. Right at the very beginning of the armor of God section, Paul says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So where does my strength come from? Well, it's in the Lord and it's in his might. And again, it's passive, which means I'm to receive the strength of the Lord and I'm to receive the strength of his might. Are you starting to pick up on this idea? This is not about your muscles. So whether you have muscles or don't have muscles, that actually does not matter. I mean, you might as well have them if you can get them. But hey, this... This is not about muscles. What is this about? This is about his strength. This is about his resource in your life. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says, You therefore, my son Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So where is the strength of Timothy supposed to come from? Well, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So you get this idea all throughout the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, that God is our strength. That you are called to be strong. That you are called to have this power within you, but it's not your power, it's not your might, it's not your strength, it's the strength of the Lord. Or as Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. That he is the strength that we need. Ah, there's this really neat name of God that shows up in the Old Testament, and it's Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts. And uh, it's interesting, 285 times uh, that name Jehovah or Elohim is associated with Sabaoth, that he is the God of Sabaoth. The word Sabaoth literally means an army or a host, that he is the Lord of armies. not that a cool thought? Now, of all the people who do not need an army, God might be one, might be the only one. Why? Because he's the one who created the armies. <clears throat> and by the very words of his mouth, he created the universe. So I don't think he's like, oh, I, I need an army. I'm concerned that someone might hurt me. That is, that is not the case. But he has a host. It's an angelic host. He ha- and again, whether it's spiritual or whether it's earthly, you realize that he is the Lord of it. And so he is the God of strength. He's the God of power. And it's interesting that word dunamis is often associated with that name. The Lord of power. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of strength. He's the Lord of might. He's a, are you getting this? That he is the... And as you start tracing that idea of the, the Lord of hosts through scripture, this becomes a, this, this is a huge name of God. He says, you know who I am? I'm the one that has all the might. I'm the one that has all the strength. I'm the one that has all the ability. I am the one, and I do not tremble. And I am fighting on your side. So let me give you a bunch of these. Because I just think this is phenomenal. So again, just enjoy these. Again, I'm just giving you tons of scripture, but it's good to read scripture. Uh, Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah said, woe is me for I am ruined, right? He sees this incredible vision. And he says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, do you know who I saw? I saw the one, the commander of the Lord's army. I saw the one high and lifted up. I, I saw the one who is the Lord of hosts. By the way, John, in the gospel of John, He says, do you know who Isaiah saw? He saw Jesus. So who is the Lord of hosts? It's Jesus. He is the commander of the Lord's army that Joshua encountered. He is the one who has all control and all might and all dominion and all authority. And he's fighting on our side. In fact, he's given us his spirit that now resides within us. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10. Listen to this. Verse 18 and 19. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord, God of hosts, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Or Zechariah 1.3. Zechariah says, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I might return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Three times in that one verse, the Lord of hosts shows up. So, Zechariah 1:3, God is saying, Hey, I am the Lord of hosts. Return to me. Why? So I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, That name, I love how this shows up in the the battle of David and Goliath. Uh, Here is this little young shepherd boy. Uh, And he sees this mammoth of a man who is taunting the armies of the living God. And of course, no one in the Israel camp wants to fight Goliath. And David shows up with the bread and the cheese, and he hears the mocking. And David goes, excuse me, why isn't anyone defending the name of our God? And so he goes to Saul, and Saul's like, well, no one else is fighting him. It's been 40 days. Sure, we'll let this young kid fight on our behalf, which is still ridiculous to me. So David comes out. Of course, he's not in armor. He just, he's a shepherd. He comes out, he picks up five smooth stones, and here he is with a sling. And as Goliath looks at David, this is what he says. Uh, so, so, sorry. So, this is 1 Samuel 17, 44 through 47. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. That's the mocking, right? The taunting. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you. Think about this. How is David coming to Goliath to fight? David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So David says, you have not just mocked the people. You have mocked the God of the people. And do you know who the God of... Israel is? He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of armies. He is the Lord of strength and power and might, and you're not going to make it. That's what he says. Isn't that incredible? He says, yeah, you might be big, but you're pretty winky dink compared to the God that I serve. And so David takes the mockery of the Philistine and turns it back upon the head of the Philistine. Look at this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will remove your head from you. (laughs) That's that's just awesome. And I will, in other words, I'm going to silence your mouth, because your head's not going to be on. Uh, And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is still a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David says, do you know who's going to fight for me? The Lord of hosts, the King of glory. So you have this idea that, that God is the Lord of hosts. He's the one of all strength and power and might and dominion. He is the God of war and armies. And he looks at his people and says, be strong. Why? Why? Because he is our strength. He's the, he's the Lord of hosts. He is our enablement. He is our empowerment. He is our ability. He is everything that you need. And imagine this. In the new covenant, he came and died upon the cross not just to forgive you of your sins, as phenomenal as that is. He didn't just really forgive you of your sins. He forgave you of your sins so that that same Lord of hosts can come inside of your life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and actually now be the Lord of hosts within you. Now he wants to be your strength. Now he wants to be your might. Now he wants to be this empowerment within you. And I know I say this verse probably every single message I ever give, but this is such a doozy of a verse. So I'm going to give it again. Second Peter 1, three through 3-4. Listen to this. His divine Power, his divine dunamis, has given to us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here is God's overwhelming dunamis coming to reside in your life. Why? Because he wants to be everything that you need for life and godliness. What do you need outside of him? He is everything that you need. That is phenomenal. So you can have victory. You can have triumph. You can have freedom. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have purity. Why? Because the one who is all power and might and strength and dominion has come to reside within you. And look at what Paul says. He says, according to the power that works, enables, energizes within us. So there's this whole idea then that this is not your might, this is not your strength, this is not your ability, this is all him. So would you let him do his thing in you? Well, what's my part? Let him. And you're participating. That's true. This is not be passive. You are not to be passive. But you are to actively allow him to do what he wants to do through you. This is not, all right, well, I'll grip my teeth and I'll become strong and I'll, I'll, I'll whip up my ability and I'm, I, I will show forth the strength of the Lord. You can't. Because what he has called you to is utterly impossible. And if the Old Testament proves anything, it proves that you cannot do this in your own ability, in your own strength, in your own mind, in your own resource. So you've got to rely upon the strength and the enablement of the Lord of hosts within you. We call him the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting how often, though that is true, we just revert back into our, our own resource, in our own ability, in our own wisdom, in our own talent, in our own makeup, in our own whatever, to live out the Christian life? There's a really interesting picture of that in the Old Testament. Uh, David is toward the end of his life. Uh, and in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David goes to Joab, who's the commander of his army, and he says, Joab, I I want you to go out and I want you to number my army. Now, in a rational sense, you would say, well, that makes sense. We we need to know how big our army is. Why? Because when we fight battles, we need to know what the numbers are going to be. Any military should know how many people fight in in its military. That logically makes sense to me. But do you realize that up until this point, The numbering of the armies actually was not allowed. Because God says it's not about the number of people in the army. It is about me doing what I want to do through the army. Why? Because I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of armies. I'm the Lord of strength and might and power. And whether it's with one or with many, I I can still win. You see that with Gideon. You see that with Jonathan and his armor bearer. You see that with David in his early years. You start to realize that it is not about the number of the army that matters. It's about the God who is behind the army. So here is David toward the end of his life, and he says, I want you to go out and I want you to number my, my army. What is he asking for? He's actually wanting to know, what is my strength? What is my physical strength? What is my physical resource in that army? And so in 2 Samuel, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but in 2 Samuel chapter 24, Joab goes and numbers his army, and it's interesting, the word that it uses for the strength of the army, for the valiant men in the army, is the word dunamis. So what is David going after? He is trying to determine the dunamis of his own army, the dunamis of his own ability, the dunamis of his own strength, the, the, the dunamis of his own resource. Why? Because he wants to know what it is. And it's interesting, over in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 24, it says that Joab gave the number of the registration of the people to the king, and he gives, he gives the number. And then it says, Now David's heart troubled him, After he had numbered the people, so David said to the Lord, "I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly." And now we know that there's a there's the plague that comes on and people are killed because of the disobedience of David numbering his own army. And David says, "Look, I, I realize I've sinned. Why was this sin? Why was it sin for David to number his army?" was because he's turning within himself and he's reaching within himself and his own ability and his own resource and he's trying to produce his own strength. Do you realize that every time you do that in your life, that's called sin, that every time you revert back into yourself and out of your own resource, out of your own wisdom, out of your own ability, out of your own talent, you produce something out of self-resource and independence, biblically, that's called sin. Isn't that interesting? Well, how am I supposed to live? By the empowerment and the resource and the ability and the wisdom and the strength of God. So you take these two activities, and the activities are identical. One is resourced by God. One is resourced by me. And it's not the activity. It's the resource behind it that determines whether it's sin or not. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, For example, uh, helping the homeless— Well, shouldn't we do that? Shouldn't we go out and help the homeless? Sure. And if God moves upon you and he begins to resource this thing and he enables you to do it, you need to do it. But if you say, you know what? I want to look really good to the people around me. And so I'm going to go out. I'm going to help the homeless. And out of your own ability, out of your own selfish motives, out of your own pride, you go and help the homeless, though the activity was the same, and though the activity is good for you, that is sin. Why? Because you self-produced it. Preaching. Well, preaching's good. Amen. Yeah, preaching's a good thing. Prayer. Prayer's a good thing. Amen. But what happens when a preacher stands up and out of his own talent, out of his own eloquence, out of his own wisdom, out of his own resource, he produces a sermon? Well, can God use it? Sure he can. But for that preacher, that's sin. So you're telling me that I can preach and it's sin? Yes, because it's not about the activity. It's about the resource and the motive behind the activity. Does that make any sense? Uh, we gather together in a prayer huddle. If what I pray is coming out because I want to impress the people around me, and out of my own intellect, out of my own resource, I produce prayer, for me, that prayer was sin. Why? Because it's out of my own strength. It's out of my own, re- it's out of my own independence. And never in Scripture are you called to live in independence. Now, I love independence in our country. And from a governmental system, I love independence. And as long as we can still have it, I'll keep it. But biblically, spiritually, you are never called to live in independence. You were made to be dependent upon the king of the universe. So again, it's not about the activity. It's about the resource and the motive behind that activity. Now, there are certain sins in Scripture that are always sin. Why? Because every time you do them, they're always self-sourced. For example, murder, adultery, lying. See, the Spirit of God is never going to come up to you and say, you know what you should do? Go commit adultery. See, that'll never be sourced by the Spirit of God. So if you're going to commit adultery, the only way you can commit adultery is you've got to revert back in yourself and out of your own arrogance, out of your own pride, out of your own selfishness, for your own own sake and for your own pleasure, you go out and commit adultery. That's always sin. Why? Because that's always independence. Lying is always an independence. Greed is always, always an independence. Does this make any sense? But there are other activities that they could be good and they could be bad. Well, what determines that? The motive, the heart stuff, the, the, the what is empowering it? Am I doing it out of myself or am I doing it out of the Spirit of God? Is that making any sense to you? So here is David and he's wanting to know the strength of his ability. He wants to know the strength of his mind. He wants to know the dunamis of his own resource. And God says, that's sin. And it's really sad to me because two chapters before that, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, listen to what God says about his God. That here he is, he's just standing in wonder of who God is. And David says in 2 Samuel 22, uh, this is verse 31 through 40, As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress. uses the word dunamis. And he sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and he sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You, O oh Lord, have given me the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. I pursue my enemies and destroyed them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise, and they fell under my feet. For you have girded me with dunamis, with strength for battle, for you have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Isn't that interesting? He's just stepping back going, wow, this is not about me, this is all about you. Well, how'd I win the battles? It was you. Oh oh God, this is all about you and your strength and your might and your power. And I just, I'm participating in this thing, but this is all about you and what you want to do. And then sadly, two chapters later, he goes, oh, this is all about me. What's my strength? How quickly we do the very same thing how quickly we're like, Lord, you're so amazing. You're so wonderful. How big is my bank account? Lord, you're so phenomenal. You're so great. Oh, how's my wisdom? How's my success? How how much food do I have in my pantry? How much resource do I've got? How much ability do I have? How much? Do you realize this is not about you? Uh, Paul in 2 Timothy is talking to Timothy about the end times. And he says, in the latter days, in these, in these final days, and it sure sounds like what we're living in now, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What does that sound like today? But listen to how Paul concludes this. He says, they're holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its dunamis. Avoid such men as these. He says there's, there's these final days when there's this whole group of people who have a version of religion. They go through all the motions. they, They attend the church services. They know when to stand. They know when to sit. They know the language. They did Bible quizzing. And they have a form of godliness, but there's no power behind it. Meaning what? God is not residing. So they're going all the actions and they're doing all the movements, but there's no resource within it. There's no empowerment behind it. Paul says avoid that. Avoid those kind of people. The people who have to talk a big talk and who do all these religious things and have all the religious, and yet they don't have the power within to do it. Uh, I've given this quote so many times, but uh, Ian Thomas was describing the Christian life, and, and Ian Thomas said it this way. He says, the Christian life can only be explained in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you whether it be your personality your willpower your gift your talent your money your courage your scholarship your dedication your sacrifice or your your anything then although you may have the christian life you are not yet living it and then he goes on and says it has got to become obvious to others that the kind of life you are living is beyond all human explanation In other words, if someone could look at your spiritual life and they can explain your spiritual life in terms of you, then you are not actually living the spiritual life. You're faking it. Because if you're actually living the spiritual life as God calls us to live, it is an impossible, impossible, impossible reality. So the only explanation for your life then, if you were living an impossible life, has got to be Jesus. So if someone looks at you and go, wow, you're really talented. Wow, you've got a lot of wisdom. Wow, you've got great resource and personality and whatever. Thomas says, well, then although you may have the Christian life, you're not living it. Because if you're actually living it, the only explanation for your life would be Jesus. That someone would look at you and how you're living and how you're responding and how you talk and how you think and how you function in this world and go, I don't understand that. That is impossible. We call that Christianity. See, this is not about you and your resource and what you can pull off. This is, hey, would you live according to the power that empowers you? That there is this person inside of you called the Holy Spirit, and he wants to empower your life. And by the way, this is all over Scripture. But let me just give you a couple. Isn't this fun? Just get all these verses. Uh, Luke 24, 49. Jesus, right before he ascended, he said in Luke, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father. Which is, again, that term shows up all over the place, referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He says, I'm going to send forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in this city until you are clothed with dunamis from on high. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, Paul, not Paul, uh, Jesus, right before he ascends, says that you will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, oh, by the way, dunamis is the word that's used in the, Pente- the Pentecost thing. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the, you know, right, the Spirit descends and, right? It uses this idea of dunamis. In, in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, the, the people see this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and uh, course, they they repent and they respond. And then here's Peter and John, and they, they go up into the temple some days after this, and they heal this lame beggar. And of course, everyone's just dumbfounded by how on earth did you heal the lame beggar? And Peter saw this. He replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if by our own power, our own dunamis, or our own holiness, we made him walk? It was not because of us, Peter says. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. So how were they giving great testimony to the resurrection of Jesus? Woo, it was through great dunamis. Oh, so they went out, and they went to the gym, and they worked out a lot, and, well, they, they had a lot of power and strength, and they, no. It's because the one who is the Lord of hosts, the one who has all power and might and dominion and authority has come to reside within them. And it is through his enabling grace that they were able to give great testimony. Stephen in Acts chapter six, verse eight, says of Stephen, he was full of grace and power, performing great wonders and signs among the people. Are you getting this? Wouldn't it be neat if we had that inside of us? By the way, you do if you're a Christian. Uh, Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, is talking about the fact that he delights in weaknesses. He says, oh, I, lo- I love weakness, which is so anti-cultural today. We do not like weakness. We're all about strength and might and power. But Paul says, you really don't have any of that. Yeah, you have an ex- external strength and power and might But that's really no strength and power and might. He says, therefore, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses. Why? Listen to this. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And this is what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, For dunamis is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power, the dunamis of Christ, may dwell in me. Paul says, I'm going to boast in weakness. Why? Because the power is demonstrated. The power is seen. And it seems like the opposite is true. If I begin to boast in my own strength, there leaves no room for the strength of the Lord. So if you want to experience the strength of the Lord, Paul says you better boast about your weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me, in you. He goes on and says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am dunamist. Then I get to actually experience and demonstrate the overwhelming power of God In my life. Do you realize that's still true about us? Here is the Lord of hosts, the one who has all strength and power and might, who looks at you and says, Be strong. In fact, would you let me come inside of you and literally be your strength and be your resource and be your ability to live out the very thing that you cannot do on your own anyway? So quit trying to live the Christian life and would you embrace the one who is life itself and would you allow the one who is life itself to to sink down inside of you and begin to produce the Christian life through you where the only explanation for your life is Jesus? Would you live by his enabling grace? Because if you look at this idea in in Ephesians 3.20 that you are to live according to the power that works within us, that you are to be powered by by the empowerment of him, well, what is that power? It's the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways it's often referred to in the New Testament is this idea of grace. That grace is that enabling power of God in your life. It's the Holy Spirit's working in your life. He's the one that is your grace. He gives you grace. That that he is that enablement. He is that resource. He is that power that enables you to live the Christian life. That's incredible. No wonder you have all things that you need for life and godliness. And when you look at what the Bible says, the New Testament, about the grace of God, Scripture says that grace was given in your life. I'll give you a short list. But just listen to what the Bible says that grace was given in your life for. That you might labor more abundantly. That you would have sufficiency in all things. That you would abound to every good work. It's for the obedience of the faith as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus in order that we may lay foundations. It's for the preaching among the Gentiles. It is our means of help in time of need. It's, it is by where we serve God acceptably. Grace makes us perfect. It establishes us, strengthens us, settles us, saves us, and enables others to believe in Jesus. And it is that same grace of God, which has come inside of your life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who now wants to power your life through his enabling power. And you could say, well, how much of this grace, power stuff do I get? Thanks for asking. In Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the blessings that you have in Jesus, listen to this in in verse 7. At the end of verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul says that according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So here's this redemption and forgiveness of trespasses that Jesus has, has given us. And how did that happen? According to the grace that he just lavished. And if you go back to those early studies on that verse, uh, I was using the illustration of Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, but it is beautiful. And, and, I, and, I, and I forgot to look up the number, but there, there's so much water pouring off Niagara Falls every second, it's ridiculous. I mean, thousands of gallons every, every second. And could you imagine you take a cup and you go over to Niagara Falls and just try to see if you can fill your cup. You're like, well, that's dumb. You're going to get more than what is able to be held in the cup. Mm-hmm. In fact, you probably won't even be able to get the cup in the water. Truth be told, there's, there's such force and intensity, you will not be able to put the cup in the water, in the waterfall. Why? Because it's just a... It's a downpour. It's being lavished. Do you realize the same thing is true in your life about the grace of God? that he, he doesn't give you a drip. He doesn't just give you a, just a, oh, I'll give you a little bit. That when he lavishes his grace, when he, uh, he, he gives his enablement, when, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, it is lavished. It's everything you need for life and godliness. It's just dumped. It's just poured. It's, it's more than your little life, your little cup can hold. That you do not have to be afraid of ever running out of his grace, of his empowerment in your life. Why? Because it is always far more Than what you need, which is why Peter says you have everything you need for life and for godliness. Do you realize that everything you need to live the Christian life has been supplied to you? That you can actually live out the impossible Christian life because it is His power that is working within you. It is His power, it's His dunamis that is energizing and enabling your life to function. So you can walk in freedom. You can have victory. You can live a pure life. You you can just rest in this hope and the joy that he has. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Do you realize we're not to talk about this thing? That what we have in the body of Christ is not mere words. And it is sad to me that the modern church today has become all theological and all doctrinal, And yet we've missed the power behind it. And we're trying in our own strength and our own resource and our own ability to live out this thing, which God never said you could live out in the first place. Or as that other favorite Ian Thomas quote says, you can't, but he never said you could. He will, and he always said he would. See, this is about his strength and his might and his dominion in your life. And this is not about words the kingdom of God isn't just this theory. It isn't just a doctrinal statement. The kingdom of God is in power that we get to experience through the enabling of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, this is not you get power like you get a gun and you get a poof, poof, poof. This, is not, this is not you receiving power for the sake of you. This is him and his overwhelming power using your life as a vessel to showcase that power, which is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4 7. We have this treasure. And in the context, he's talking about the glory of God. We have this treasure, the glory of God, in earthen vessels, jars of clay. Or you could translate it, cracked pots, which is awkward in Colorado, but, uh, but it's, a, it's a great statement, right? They, they would make these small cups, and they, they often wouldn't put it through the fire. Because, hey, it's, it's like a one-time use thing. It's, it's like a disposable Dixie cup kind of an idea. And so they hurry and make these clay pots. and They, they, you know, they let it dry, but they, they crumble. They break really quick. And Paul says, we have this treasure. Do you know what your life is? Your life is a cracked pot. It's just a little jar of clay. It's just a little usage thing. And it has this crack running down it. And you're like, well, what good is a pot with a crack in it? It's not going to be able to hold the water. Paul goes, exactly. That you have the glory of God. You have the very presence of God in your life. Well, my life's a cracked pot. Just a little jar of clay. There's this crack running down it. Paul goes, I know. But do you know how phenomenal that is? Because if there's a crack, the weakness in your life, it just means that that glory is going to ooze forth out of you wouldn't it be neat to be so filled up with God and his life and his resource and his power that it's not, you, this is not power for you to use. This is not power that you get to like, all right. This isn't just, this is his enabling grace and power and might in your life so that he can use you. You don't control the power. The power is going to control you. You don't have authority over God. God has authority over you. And Paul says, we have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power, dunamis, will be of God and not from ourselves. That you will not be able to take credit for this thing. Gideon, was, his army was shrunk down to 300. Why? So that he would not get credit when God moved. And Paul says, do you know what God's doing with your life? He's using you as a cracked pot so that you do not get the credit. This is not about you. This is not about your goals. This is not about your plan. This is not about your what you want to pull off. This is not about your agenda. This is not, this is not about you. This is about him. So would you let him, in his overwhelming resource and his overwhelming ability, come inside of you and use you as a cracked pot to demonstrate his overwhelming power and glory? Well, will they write a biography about me? No. Don't seek that. Well, is anybody going to know my name? Don't seek that. Do I get money from this? Don't seek that. Well, what do I want to seek? Him. This is not about you. Listen again to Colossians 129. Paul says, for this purpose, I labor. I strive According to his dunamis, which mightily energizes, energio, energio, within me. It mightily works within me. Do you realize that the power of God works mightily within you? That the overwhelming God of the universe has come to live within you, to strengthen you, to be your resource, to live out this thing called Christianity. Would you walk in dependence? Would you walk in faith? Would you walk in a surrender? Would you abide in that? That is not by might, nor by power, nor by strength, but it's by Him and Him alone. Wouldn't it be neat if this world did not see you? They saw Jesus. Wouldn't it be neat if they did not hear your voice? They heard Jesus. Wouldn't it be neat if what came out of your life was not self accomplishment or anything of your own mind or your own agenda? your life just oozed forth the reality of Jesus? Don't you know we call people who live like this? Yeah, we call them Christians. Would you let God be the Lord of hosts in your life? Not out there somewhere, but dwelling in here. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we need this. Lord, as a culture, we need this. Lord, as the church, we desperately need this. Lord, the church is so full of self-effort and self-accomplishment and look at me, look at me, look at me kind of stuff. But Lord, this is not about us. This has always and forever been about you. Lord, could I see myself as merely the cracked pot, just the vessel through which you want to showcase yourself through? And Lord, it is so mind-boggling to me that the Lord of hosts The King of armies, the one who is of all strength and might and power. You have chosen not to merely give us strength. You've chosen to be our strength. And you've come to indwell our lives through your spirit. And now you want to enable us and strengthen us. And it's through your power that you want to work through us. Lord, what a mighty, phenomenal reality that is If I would realize that this is not my strength, this is not about my talent, this is not about my personality, this is not about my might, this is not about my anything, this is about you. I know the only way I'm ever going to experience the reality of your power working in my life is like Paul realizing that I I need to not boast of my own strength, I I can't boast of my own intellect, I I can't rely upon my personality, I, I, I need to see the loss of all those things as he says in Philippians three, and I I need to declare and and boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can be seen within me. Lord, we need the power of Christ to be seen within us. Lord, we need you to be demonstrated in and through our lives. Lord, this world does not need to see more of us. They need to see you. Lord, I look at this generation and, and, and we have all these words. We have all these declarations and we have all this theology and doctrine, but we're lacking power. We have a form of godliness, but we are denying the power thereof. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for trying to do this in our own strength. Lord, forgive us for trying to do this out of our own resource and intellect and ability and rather than leaning upon the strong arm of who you are. Lord, could we not move forward in our life out of the resource of me, but rather out of the and dwell into the Holy Spirit that resides within us? And Lord, as Paul says, could we live according to the power that empowers us? And Lord, could you do something so radical in and through our lives that the only explanation for how we live is you? That like David with Goliath, the world would once again see the Lord of hosts that all the world will know that you still sit upon the throne. Lord, don't let us, like at the end of David's life, seek our own strength, seek the the number of our own armies. But Lord, can we somehow get just enraptured in the reality of who you are, in your might, of your dominion, of your strength, of your power, that energizes, enables, works, operates within us. Lord, we want to live by that. So, Lord, we just freshly give ourselves to you today and just say whatever you want to do, whatever you want to accomplish, we say yes. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We just give you all the praise and the glory. You are worthy. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.